Well, good morning and welcome to Ritson Road Alliance Church Online. My name is Chris Corbin, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the church. I want to let you know that we are just so glad that you have decided to join us for the next 40 or so minutes. I also want to say thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you continue to support the ministry of the church. It's through your generosity and giving that we are able to do all that we can do. And would you also consider supporting our ministry by liking or sharing these messages with those who are in your social circles? We long for people to encounter the life-changing presence of Jesus. And sharing these messages is a simple way to do just that. I also really want to encourage you to take time to share with your friends, your family and co-workers, the ways that God has been leading in your life and the things that God has been teaching you that you are learning. Because there's no one better to reach your friends, your family, and your co-workers than you. As always, our desire is for you to connect with God this morning. And so we hope that you will engage with our service. Make sure you take some time at the end of the service to work through the questions for reflection. And would you come with an expectation that you will meet with God this morning? I want to invite you to join with me in prayer as we begin our service. Let's pray. So Father God, we come to you this morning and we come with an expectation that we will meet with you. Would you show up in our midst wherever we are gathered, however we are gathered? Would you speak to us? Would you speak through your word, through the worship this morning? May we come closer to you. May we see you face to face. And would we bring honor and glory to your name this morning? And would we know you, Jesus? We lift you up this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back as we continue our series entitled The Broken Road. For the past few weeks, we have been exploring what it looks like to walk with Jesus in the broken areas of our lives. I've suggested to you that the broken road is a narrow road that few would ever venture down, few would ever walk. In fact, it's not a road that we're ever naturally drawn towards. It's the road where we choose not to hide, where the masks that we wear come off, where the lies and our false self are, are put aside. And instead of hiding, instead of glossing over our hurts and our pain and stuffing them down, we actually come face to face with our own brokenness. It's a place where we acknowledge our fears and our doubts, where we're not afraid to acknowledge the areas in our lives that have actually been damaged, where, where our lives have been made weak or they've been violated, interrupted, or even crushed. The broken road is a road that is marked by grief and lament. It's a road that is filled with repentance and is ultimately driven towards reconciliation. It's on this same road that we actually find joy that springs up. It's a road where hope can thrive and where peace that surpasses understanding is found and cultivated. I've also shared with you that I am convinced that those who are willing to walk the broken road will truly find Jesus in the midst and the thick of it all. And as they encounter Jesus in those broken places on the broken road, they will actually come to learn what it means when Jesus says, 
I have come so that you may have life to the full. If you were with us last week, we were looking at the idea of repentance. And the simplest or easiest way to describe repentance is really, it is a turning toward God. It's a coming into alignment with Him. This morning, I want to look at reconciliation. And it's through our repentance that we find reconciliation. The the dictionary defines reconciliation as to restore to harmony, to settle or resolve or to make consistent or congruous. And so as we look at it from the lens of scripture and our faith, our repentance leads us to a restoration or harmony in our relationship with God. And ultimately, all of this is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus' death on the cross that our sins and our rebellion towards God are forgiven. In Colossians, Paul says this. He says, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. What an incredible promise, what an incredible truth. It is through Jesus' death on the cross that his death brings forgiveness of sins. And as we repent, as we turn back to God and, and come into alignment with him, we are reconciled to him. Our relationship with God is restored to harmony. What great news. You know, it's great news that even though we are headed in our own direction, even though we might be far from God, or even though we were actually God's enemies, in our ways we actually set ourselves against God, and yet through Christ we receive this incredible blessing that we can be forgiven and that we can return to Him. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us, he says, For if While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ah, this is amazing. Our reconciliation towards God is only because of Jesus. We really have no other reason to boast. There isn't anything that we have done to deserve it. And it's in this reminder that I'm I'm reminded that reconciliation, much like repentance, needs to happen again and again. In our brokenness, in our waywardness, we often lose sight of God and we end up turning from him. Sometimes it's outright a rebellion. Sometimes we just end up getting off track and going our own way. We just simply miss the mark of where God is leading us. And so we have to turn back to God again and again in our repentance. And and once again, we are reconciled to God. And this is great news that no matter how far we have wandered from God, he invites us to turn towards him. And he invites us to be reconciled once more. And while this is an incredible blessing that the the message that through Jesus Christ we are reconciled to God, it's also more than that. In fact, we are actually called to share this blessing and this gift that we have received with others. 
as followers of Jesus, as those who have been reconciled, we actually have a mandate to reconcile others to God. Paul tells us, he says, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God didn't reconcile you so that you could be better than anyone else, or so that you could actually hoard that blessing. Instead, he, we've actually been reconciled and are being reconciled so that God might entrust to us the same message that we heard. We are supposed to go and tell others. And you know, this isn't a new story. Right from the beginning of Scripture, this has been God's heart. That those who are in a right relationship with Him would share the blessing with those around them. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, right at the very beginning of Scripture, we read the story of Abram. And it says this, he says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What an incredible promise God makes to Abram. And we know later that Abram's name would be changed to Abraham. But as we've seen in that passage, God actually makes three promises to Abraham. The first promise is, is that I will make you a great nation. The second promise that God makes is, I will bless you. And then he says, I will make your name great. Those are three incredible promises, but they're immediately followed by a purpose statement or a purpose clause. God says, and you will be a blessing. You see, none of the promises were meant just for Abraham to joy and to enjoy. They were actually meant to be passed on to every other nation, to every other people. In the passage, it goes on to say, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is why God intended to bless Abraham so richly. God wanted to bless Abraham so that that blessing would then be passed on to others. It wasn't just for those that Abraham liked. It was meant to be a blessing for everyone. Now, we might be thinking, well, that's great for Abraham, but... Abraham lived a long time ago, and how does that have anything to do with me? Well, in Galatians 3.29, we read this. Paul tells us, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Did you catch that? If you belong to Christ, if you have been reconciled to God, then you are Abraham's seed. You have the same calling. As the followers of Jesus, we are called to the same promise as Abraham. We are called to be blessed 
so that we can bless the nations. We are called to actually lead them to God and to lead them to the place where they know that they can be reconciled with God. We also see this throughout the history of the people of Israel, throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, before Christ came, God actually chose the people of Israel, the very descendants of Abraham, to be his chosen people. And God decided that he was going to dwell among them. And so he commands the people of Israel to build a tabernacle. And later he, he commands them to build a temple. And the whole purpose of the tabernacle was to be the dwelling place of God, to be the place where God lived among the people. And God intended that the people of Israel would be a blessing wherever they went, because God's presence would be among them, and his people, as they were going out, would lead others to know him. They would make him known. Now, this isn't just a message and a calling for, that God had for the people of the Old Testament. It's actually the same message that Jesus gives in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, he says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus' instructions are to go to all of the nations, not just some of the nations, not just the nations we like, all nations. Bless them. Make them disciples. That is, those who follow Jesus. And teach them. But not only that, we see the same promise that God had to Abraham and to the people of Israel. That in our going, Jesus will be with us. And so we are called to be a blessing. We are meant to be a blessing by leading people to repentance and reconciliation with Jesus. You know, unfortunately, we are more often than not a lot more like the people of Israel, but only when they fail to fulfill their part of the blessing. You know, instead of taking that blessing that they had been given and passing it on and blessing others, they hoarded it to themselves and they actually made the blessing so incredibly hard for others to receive. This is one of Jesus's criticisms of the Pharisees, but we also see it in the story of Jonah. Jonah opens like this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The account of Jonah actually starts with Jonah receiving God's command to go to Nineveh. Does this, sound, this command sound familiar? Go. Go to the nations. And so where is God calling Jonah to go? Well, he's calling him to go to Nineveh. God is calling Jonah to go to the very center of brutality and war. He is calling Jonah to go to a stubborn and rebellious people, to people who are far from God. And yet, here's what I find powerful. The God of Israel is the same God of Nineveh. We sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget that the God who loved me enough to reconcile me and to forgive me actually loves my neighbor too. God wants to save Nineveh. And that's why he wants Jonah to go and preach of the coming judgment. 
so that he can call Nineveh to repentance. And yet, how does Jonah respond? Jonah refuses. In fact, he runs from God. He goes in the exact opposite direction that God has called him. And if you read the account of Jonah, you know what happens. God sends a mighty storm. And it's in this storm that Jonah is actually found sleeping at the bottom of the boat. The crew is searching in vain for why this storm has come upon them. And ultimately, Jonah finally confesses that he worships and fears the God of both the sea and land of all creation, the God who is above all nations. And the storm is a judgment against him because he is running and fleeing from God. Finally, after some back and forth, he commands the sailors to throw him into the water. And when they throw him into the water, the storm ceases. And I love it because when that happens, the sailors praise Jonah's God. And here, Jonah, he's swallowed by a large fish. And while he's stuck in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to God to rescue him. The same guy who didn't want to go to Nineveh, because we'll learn later, is that Jonah knows that if he goes and tells them to repent, God and they do, and if the people repent, that God will actually save them. And now here he is, having to cry out to God to deliver him, to save him. And yet God responds in mercy. And the fish spits Jonah out onto the shore. And so Jonah himself has now experienced God's mercy and grace again. And so Jonah finally goes to Nineveh where he must proclaim that unless Nineveh repents, she will be destroyed. And I want you to listen to what happens when Nineveh hears Jonah's message. It says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then God's response to their repentance is found in verse 10. He says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. With this power, the people of Nineveh repenting and being reconciled before God. And so Jonah was given the same message and the same call that we have been given to carry the good news, the message of God's judgment, but also of his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, new life, redemption, all to a nation and to a people who did not know God, who were far from him. But I wonder if you might resonate with Jonah's response to God's mercy towards Nineveh. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You know, Jonah didn't say this as praise to God. He was actually criticizing God. 
he was saying to God, I didn't want to go. I actually wanted to keep that blessing entirely for myself. And I sometimes wonder if we get caught up thinking that way. If we somehow, we begin to build our lives around a desire to hold on to as much of the blessing of God as possible. It's as though somehow we are worried that if God would bless somebody else, there wouldn't be enough of a blessing left for us. And so rather than recognizing that God's blessing is meant for us to bless others, I think we build systems and practices to keep people away. And not only that, but we actually avoid going to the hard places, to the uncomfortable places, the places where we disagree with how people live, to the places where the people make us uncomfortable, to the places where people might be far from God. And yet, our God, he's the same God. He's the same God of Nineveh. He's the same God of Israel. He is the God who forgave us, who saved us, who reconciled us. He's the same God who wants to reconcile all nations, who wants to reconcile the sinner, the broken, and those who are far from God. God has reconciled you. And in your reconciliation, he is calling you to go. To bless others with the good news that God longs to bring them reconciliation to. My question for you is, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go to the hard places, the places you may not want to go to be a blessing? Let me close by reading Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that you have been gracious to us, that in your mercy you have forgiven us, that as we repent and as we turn back to you, you reconcile us. You bring us into right relationship with you once more. And in doing so, we are given a wonderful gift, a wonderful blessing that we can pass on to the nations, to all those who are around us. The same blessing, the same calling to be reconciled to you. And so, Father, may we take that calling seriously. May we, with love and grace, seek those who you long to bring near to you, who you long to bring into right relationship with you to restore that relationship with you. May we be willing to go and to be a blessing to all peoples. And may you be glorified and you honored through all of this, Lord Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to take just a few moments to work through the questions for reflection. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and lead you and guide you. And may you consider how you might be a blessing to those who are around you. Amen.